All right. How is everyone tonight? It does not sound real convincing. I'm going to be honest. Has it been a rough week? A little bit? Yeah. Okay. Your body language says it's been kind of a rough week. Well, I am so glad you guys are here. I'm glad that you went ahead, even in your tiredness and your exhaustion, to come and gather tonight come and sing and how fun that is to sing of God's creation and his beauty and his majesty as we sit outside and get to take it in. Oh, just making sure it's not me. It could be me, so it's probably not him. That's probably me. Um, but you're here and we're going to open up God's word and we're going to kind of let it sift us a little bit tonight. And so I hope you're ready. I actually want to begin with a little story for you. So Casey and I have three boys. And until we had children, we did not have a will of any kind, which makes sense. We didn't really have anyone to give anything to. But as you start having kids, you kind of figure those things out and think, I should probably have something in writing of what to do should I die. And I was getting ready to go on a mission trip. It had been the first kind of big trip I was going to go on since having kids. So Landon was maybe like two-ish, and David was probably like four and a half. So they were, they were fairly little. I was going to be flying over to Ethiopia. And so I get that, I mean, it is real unlikely that a plane is going to crash. But here's the thing. If it does, I am definitely dying. Like, that's how that's going to go. It's not like a car accident where you're just like, well, maybe I bumped it, and you're fine. No, if the plane goes down, I'm going down. And so I thought, you know what? I would like to revisit my will. And so I went to the safety deposit box and, and I made some adjustments to it. But I made them with post-it notes. This is what I used. Because here's the thing. I really didn't care about the stuff that we had put in, put in our will. These were notes from my husband, should I die in what to do with our children? And so there were post-it notes on as you are picking out where to send our children to daycare, right, because they're four and two, you need to take Amy Moss with you. Do not choose this alone. So that was one of my post-it notes to him. You may not do that. You need Amy's help. Don't do that. Um, I had written, I wish I kept this. I'm not real sentimental, but this, looking back, would have been real fun to share with our children someday. I had written out their schedule and put it on the post-it note and put it on the will. I had put... I had put um, future uh, families that I thought, like, if my husband wanted to get to know that my children maybe would like their daughters someday. Like, I was real. I was very concerned about what... At that time, we did not have any, like, biological family here. It was Casey and I. None of the other butlers were here. We are the originals. And so there's just some things I needed him to know. Should I die? But they were written on post-it notes for him. Thankfully, we did not have to do that. He did not have to find those notes. It is funnier now, because nothing happened. <laughs> I'm curious to know if he would have followed any of my instructions today, but we'll never know now. But what we are going to see tonight is another last testament of sorts. It's Peter's farewell testament. And we get the privilege of kind of reading into his post-it notes of sorts of his carefully chosen words. 
the words he felt were most important to remember because he is about to die and he knows it and so he leaves this for the church so let us listen well to what he has for us we're going to be in second peter we're at the end of chapter one we're going to start in verse 12. it says therefore i will always remind you about these things even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have i think it is right as long as i am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Anytime you come to therefore, as you're studying God's word, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? You have to look back because he's linking these ideas and we can't miss that or that our part actually doesn't make any sense. See, Peter has been telling us in the first half of chapter one, that Christ has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And a life of godliness will be necessary for entry into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to make every effort to confirm our calling. That is where he has been. For godly living is not what earns our salvation, but it is our evidence of his powerful grace in us. And Peter sets out in the rest of our section with some urgency to remind us that their understanding of these truths have eternal consequences. See, what Peter is saying to these believers is not new news. There's nothing we've read just yet that is new to them. Christ's lordship in every area of your life. That would have no doubt been part of the gospel message that came to them originally. And yet, Peter is saying, I know you've heard this, but you need to hear it again. In fact, the New Testament stresses this repeatedly. At no point in our walk of the Lord will the gospel just be yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's something I took care of when I was 10. It's done. I've kind of outgrown that. No, the gospel is not meant just for those who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ but it is the continual truth that strengthens us to live lives that are set apart for and through Jesus Christ. And Peter uses a, an interesting word as he writes this. In verse 12, he says that not only do they know these truths, but they are established in these truths. And what he's saying is, as they lean into the gospel that they already know, they are strengthened in the richness of the truth that lies in the truth of it. And I wonder if he has a couple of conversations in mind that he had with Jesus. In Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, we find Jesus and his 11 disciples in the final hours before he was gonna be crucified on the cross. And he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. 
Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's the exact same word that Peter uses here in verse 12, to be established. The other one I wonder if he's thinking about is found in John 21, verse 15. The resurrected Christ has come back and he's given Peter a do-over. If you remember, Peter had denied him three times on his way to be crucified, but Jesus restores his denial with three things. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, here at the end of his life, has spent his last days reminding and establishing his brothers and his sisters in the gospel, letting it steady them, letting it strengthen them, guard them. Peter spent every day since that moment doing just that. So why is this so important to Peter? Well, Peter actually gives us a couple of reasons in these few verses. One, we've already talked about, he's going to die soon. He already knows it. Uh, Jesus has told him about it earlier, which um, some speculate, right? Did Jesus talk to him again? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. So we're going to go with the fact Peter knows, because Jesus told him, at least in John 21, he is old in his age and persecution is all around him. It's coming soon for him. He doesn't have much longer. Whether it's days, weeks, months, we do not know, but it is soon. The Lord of the universe knew exactly when and how Peter would die, and he was in complete control of it. There are many times in Peter's life that this could have been true and wasn't. The Lord is not surprised. The Lord is in complete control. And so here at the end, I think Peter is weighing out all that his life has been. And he is saying, my Jesus, he is my Messiah still. That word Messiah is anointed king. And he is my God, and he is my savior, and he is worth everything that I have given to him. And he will be worth everything when I die. I think the second reason this is important to Peter is Peter clearly thinks we need some reminding. Three different times in four verses, he uses that word remind and remind and recall, wake up, remind. And we're going to talk about more of that in the second half. But for now, I just need you to sit with that. That Peter is very insistent that we remember the gospel well. And the third reason is because false prophets are already there. And they're going to continue to be there. And their work is trying to undo the work 
that Peter has been spending his life poured out to. Because he seems to be referencing this when we continue in our verse 16. And it reads like this. For we do not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came down from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, not everyone is eager or interested in hearing the good news that Jesus is coming back again. So much so that they are telling people that it's just a myth. It's just a fable. It's just made up. No truth to it at all. Because you see, if Jesus doesn't come back again, then his final judgment doesn't either. And if there is no final judgment, then there is no eternal reward. And if there is no eternal reward, then pursuing a godly life is optional at best. And if that's true, then all that Peter and the apostles are trying to do and to say is just to manipulate you and just to control you. Can you see the subtleties of their lies and their deceit? There's more to come about these false prophets in chapters 2 and 3, but that is outside my scope. That isn't for me to teach on. So we're going to leave it there, recognizing that there are false teachers who are actively working to usurp the kingdom and the authority of Jesus Christ and his apostles. And Peter is going to fervently go back at it. And Peter grounds all of his teaching on this very specific event that he shared with two other apostles, the transfiguration. You can read the whole story in Matthew 17 or Mark 9 or Luke 9. And I, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to those or read those for yourselves. We also taught about it back in February here. And so there's lots of ways in which you could kind of study the transfiguration a little bit more. But for our purposes, we're going to do a summary of it. So Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain to pray. And while Jesus was praying, he was transfigured before them. The text says the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. He was not merely just reflecting light. He was producing the light. It emulated out of him the very one who was and is the source of light was before them. And not only does his appearance change, but they hear a voice from heaven and not just any voice. Did you catch it? It's the voice of the majestic glory, the very voice of Yahweh God himself. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, drawing the Jewish minds back to Psalm 2, which should elicit thoughts of their messianic king 
their anointed king who will come to make the nations his inheritance and the ends of the earth his possession. So Jesus is coming back. Peter could have reminded, he could have reminded them of how he saw Christ after he was resurrected. And he could have reminded them of the ascension of Christ because he was also witness to that. And those are both significant and they are both important to what we believe about Christ and his supremacy in all things. But Peter chooses neither of those. Instead, he reminds the church of the time that he and James and John saw Jesus in his majesty. They were eyewitness to the reality of Christ's glory. This transfigured moment was a preview of the glory of the second coming of Christ. But there's more. Let's keep reading. In verse 19, we continue. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention. Uh, pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter knows what he saw on that mountain. You will not be convincing him of anything other than seeing the glory of the Lord. And so he adds a second piece. All right, you don't trust that one? Here's the, here's the really good news. The prophets have already been speaking about it. They've already told you of the ultimate coming of the Messiah with power and glory. It's already been said. So Peter is just testifying. He's, all, he's testifying to what the scriptures have already been pointing to, that the Messiah's return is evident. And then Peter paints a picture for us of why there's an urgency to his words. The world we live in is a very dark place. And we need a lamp to expose the darkness, to reveal its dangers, to keep us from being overcome by it. Have you ever been there? In a place, mentally, spiritually, where every thought seems darker than the last. And you aren't sure where that's going to end. And you resonate with Psalm 88 that ends with darkness is my only friend. Have you been there? Peter paints us this picture. What do we do with the darkness? And we're going to pause there. And we're going to take a break. And we're going to talk about that in the second half. So, pause.
go to the bathroom, get a drink. We'll come back to that question. All right, I'm going to let you in. If this is, I don't know that it's a secret. Some of you probably know this about me if you spent much time with me. I have a real, real bad memory. I do not remember things well at all. It's, um, it's a bit frustrating in what we do here because there are some of you, I am so sorry, I am trying so hard to remember your name and every week it escapes me. And I, but I want to know you. Please come meet me again and again, and I will apologize a bunch of times, because I do, I, I want to know you, but remembering names, remembering things is a challenge for me. And that's been true really all of my life. It's not, I have gotten older, which they say that's going to happen as you get older. It turns out I, that's just me as a whole. It's all of my life. I will just, I guess it gets worse, which I didn't know was possible, but apparently that's gonna happen. Um, and so this is where my love of post-it notes really came from. This is why I write things on post-it notes. You will find them really all over the place. They are in my Bible. They are on my desk. Uh, they are on the wall of my office. Rachel gets to look at some of them sometimes. Um, they, they find an appearance in a lot of places because I struggle to remember. And there's a specific season of parenting that my post-it notes came in real handy because I was really struggling. We have three boys and all three were kind of struggling with some things at, in different ways, which means how you're correcting those things is different for all three of them. And so I had to find a way to remember what consequence had been laid out for what child and for how long. I'm not joking, this was, I had to do this because it was not going real well. And so on the door in my bedroom, there would be post-it notes. And you would find some that said child one, obviously it said their name, I won't share which one it was, is not having dessert for this week. And I would put literally the exact dates that were going to, they were not gonna be having dessert for talking back on the wall. Child two has lost the privilege of video games for this amount of time, again, exact date, or missing homework and on and on it would go so post note post note consequence would end post note comes off and I laugh at this system because I kept thinking our children are going to catch on to this really, right and they're just gonna like take that right off the door consequence is gone I, I mean I'm gonna be honest that's what I would have done as far as I know my children did not do that as far as I know um, if they got away with it, I guess good for them. The Lord knows. The Lord will deal with that. Um, but to train my children, I needed reminders. And I needed reminders not just of their consequences, to keep track of those, because discipline is a piece of us helping them mature. But I also want to remember the things I am praying for over them and the things that the Lord says is true over them. And so I have other post-it notes. I have a picture of each child and on the back is a card of just different things I am praying for them at different times. You see, remembering is such a key piece of us growing in maturity. We have to remember well. 
And I think that's why Peter spends so much time saying, don't forget. Don't forget what I've already taught you. Don't forget what you have learned. Peter's concern. Yeah, that's not even a concern. He knows that there's going to be an ongoing barrage of teachers that are going to begin to fill, infiltrate the church. And they're going to spread lies. And they need to be dealt with quickly before they take root. So they don't get caught up in endless controversies. You know, that lie at the very beginning of time. Did God really say that's what's at stake if we do not remember? And they would become distracted from maturing. And they would grow tired. And they would grow exhausted from trying to pursue godliness. That allure of sin, it doesn't die willingly or easily. No, we very much have an enemy. And in 1 Peter it says, He is even now prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone to devour. See, the world we live in is not neutral. You and I are also getting messages thrown at us all day, every day. And they may not be explicit false prophets, but they aren't here to help you see God clearly. And they aren't here to help you grow in godliness. No, they could care very little about that. That is not what they are interested in at all. So the Lord calls us through Peter, wake up, wake up, remember, this is important. Do not forget that there was a time in your life that you were dead to sin, not partially alive, dead. We walked in the darkness of this world. We were enslaved to the ways of the world, experienced in the empty promises that it threw out. A little more, never satisfied. Broken relationship left in the wake of our selfishness. The mantra of try harder, do more, fleeting. Never enough. Morality, Good deeds only stirred up pride and arrogance. Though you were made by God and you were made for God, you and I did not want him. We follow in our Father's footsteps of Israel, which says they are a stiff-necked people, bent towards rebellion. And every one of us has to deal with that reality. Because that is true of all of us. No one gets to escape that truth. That by our nature, we are children of wrath, deserving God's judgment. Because we have rebelled against him. But God, who is compassionate 
and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounds in faithful love and truth, and who is rich in mercy, saw fit to offer his one and only son in our place, his perfect life for our rebellious one, his righteousness for our mockery, his holiness for our depravity, his body, his blood given on the cross that we could be restored to the very one we are made for. His sacrifice covered in full every sin that you and I could ever commit. Past, present, future. His resurrection proves our coming resurrection. Jesus Christ has given us a new reality and he has given us a new hope. He has given us eternal life and he will come again and there will be judgment for those that do not place their faith in him. Those that did not want him here will not get him in eternity. But for those who have made him Lord, their Messiah, their Savior, oh, it will be beautiful and it will be glorious and we will be with him forever. The end of Romans 8, verse 13, 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember these truths. They are what sustain us to the very end. It is a long life. In light of eternity, very short, but it feels very long here. We need to remember the truth of the gospel again and again. That is why Peter is so adamant. Remember, remember what he has done for you. Do not lose that. And you want to know how you remember, how you remember the power of the gospel and how it transformed you. You remember and you grow up in God's word. You encounter the light of the world page after page. John 1 records it this way. If you have your Bibles, you should turn there. This, is, this would be worth memorizing at some point in your life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. To not 
know Jesus and the truth of his majesty and divine glory is to remain in darkness, to remain in ignorance, and he has given his gift of his word. And I think sometimes we've missed the point of it. So in college ministry, we get the privilege of going to a lot of weddings. This is the stage of life that you guys are in, and we get to come and we get to celebrate with you. And it really is a great gift and a great joy. But there's this moment at the end of of every wedding You know it's coming, because every wedding has it. They are about to have their first kiss as husband and wife before everyone that's gathered. And I've went to a few, and most of the time, the ministers officiating the wedding know this moment's coming, right? And what is every camera doing at that same moment? Picture, picture, picture. Hope knows, hope's ready. Right? It's all about that moment. Everyone wants to remember that moment. And so the minister, very wisely, steps out of you, right? That is not true at my wedding. That is not what happened. I have a wonderful picture of Casey and I's first kiss, but all you can see is Judd Weiss's face right here. I mean, it's a huge smile. Like, he's real excited for us. But if you just take a glance at it, it looks like Judd is the focal point of this moment. (laughs) All about Judd. But that isn't true. This was Casey and I's wedding. This was Casey and I's commitment to the Lord and to each other. That wedding was not about Judd. And I think we do that with scripture. I think we try and turn it and make it about us. And it's not about us. See, this entire book is about God. Genesis to Revelation, that is what it is about. Him and Him alone. And in His kindness, He has given it to us that we might know Him and that we might worship Him as He deserves that we might find life in it because it speaks of life of Jesus and that we might know for certain that Jesus Christ has come and he has died in our place and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to bring us into eternity. And I wonder I wonder if this is why we struggle so much and we struggle to put sin to death as we have not spent enough time in God's word. We have not let it be a lamp for our feet to light our path and we remain disoriented. I often sit across from young women and old women, lots of women, sorry guys, don't hang out with you a whole lot, but Drew would love to, Alec would love to. 
and I sit across from them and I hear their stories. as they share where they have never felt like they were enough. Not smart enough, not pretty enough, not outgoing enough, never what my parents wanted. And all they can see this life through is a lens of anxiety and insecurity and comparison, and they are disoriented They are looking for hope, but they have blinders on because they do not know God's word. They do not know who he is and thus who they are. We have not spent enough time in it. And if we're going to tell the truth from lies, you have to know his word. See, we too often settle for less. Settle for quick words, quick podcast here or there. And we don't dive into it. We don't question it. As wonderful as Drew is at communicating the truth of God, if it is not actually what the Bible says, it is useless to you. And you should not believe what we say at face value. You should be checking it for yourselves because it is in there. And the Spirit will illuminate it. One day we will see the Lord and you will not give an account for what I knew or what Drew knew about his word. You will give an account for what you knew and the time you spent. Because this book is about him and he is worth knowing. He offers him very, his very self in it. You want to know what God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit is really like? His word is going to tell you. You want to know how life works best? Let it light your way. You want to know how to have a gospel-centered life. Open up its words. You want to know what happens at the end of all time. He's already told us. The prophets have already proclaimed it. God's word lights the way out of those dark places in your minds. For it reminds us that this world is not all that there is. A day is coming when Christ will return in all of his glory and all of us will be witnesses to it. What Peter, James, and John got a short glimpse of at the transfiguration, we will be for eternity in that. God in his kindness has already spoken in Isaiah and Zechariah and Malachi And we can have complete confidence in this scripture because it is given and guarded by God through the Holy Spirit. The Lord used men to write exactly what he wanted them to write for exactly the purpose that he had. We have 66 books written by 40 authors on 30 continents over a 1500 year period 
that tells one consistent story. We can trust that we have all that God intended us to know about him. Is it everything? No. Is it sufficient? Yes. That is why Peter can so confidently say at the end of our text, in verse 21, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that is why 2 Timothy 3.16 can say, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you don't know where to start in God's word, it's okay. Just start. I would encourage you to start in the gospels. They are all about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, start there. And if you begin to read it and you struggle to understand it, may I encourage you, welcome to the club. That is all of us. At some point in our life, there are many questions I still have. Let's do it together. This is what we do here on Thursday nights. We do it in community. Keep doing it day after day and week after week, month after month, year after year, until one day we are with him in eternity. There has been a psalm that I have been kind of echoing through my mind all week, and I'm going to use it as a prayer for us tonight. It's Psalm 19. I'm going to turn to it, and it's going to, it's going to be my prayer over you. So if you want to bow your heads, I just want to pray this. Oh, Lord, I thank you that your instruction is perfect, that it renews our life, that its testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, that it gives the inexperienced wisdom. Lord, that your precepts are right, making our hearts glad, the commands radiant. They make our eyes light up. They are more desirable than gold, and they are more abundant than pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, dripping from the honeycomb. Lord, may it warn us, may it guard us, may it keep us in your reward. O oh Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.